I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and this is our final match review of the season. Feeling a little bit emotional, I'm not going to lie. Um, on today's show, we're going to be looking back at the 5-0 demolition of Wolverhampton Wanderers. We'll be talking Granite Xhaka. We'll be telling some stories from Emirates Stadium yesterday, talking about the atmosphere and whatever else comes up along in the conversation. Uh, big hello to everybody joining us in the chat. And just a quick apology to those that joined the initial stream, which I ended after about a minute or two because uh, I was having mic issues. Uh, I think, fingers crossed, they're resolved now and uh, we should be able to uh, get through the show without any technical gremlins without any technical issues. Um, so a big thank you to those of you that uh, very patiently waited for me to fix that and then obviously restart the stream um, so that we could uh, do the show in the best possible quality. Because I'm always conscious of the audio because I know when you're watching it on video that there tends to be a, obviously you want the audio quality to be as good as it possibly can when you're watching a video. But I think the people on the video are much more accepting of of maybe a slight lack in audio quality than those that only listen to the show in audio. So it would have made my life difficult later on when I had to edit the podcast version. So uh, here I am uh, back in all my glory, I hope, uh, with my microphone working and ready to deliver a full length podcast. Let's say a few hellos. Um, big hello to Trevor, to Wes Bird, to Viju Jr. is with us. Uh, we've got Michael uh, there who says, afternoon again, all second time lucky, fingers crossed. Uh, we've got uh, Junior Gunner. We've got Tamina. Uh, we've got Granddaddy Guna. Um, we've got Wandering Minstrel. Good to see so many of you with us live um, and here alongside us for, as I say, the final match review of the season. Do not despair. There'll be plenty of content coming your way over the summer. Uh, we're going to be doing loads of transfer stuff. We've got some season review stuff coming up this week as well. So there's plenty to keep you busy and to keep Arsenal on your minds. Um, but yeah, let's um, let's round off the season then with uh, a look back at that victory over Wolverhampton Wanderers. A few narratives going into this game. You felt like this was an opportunity, as I repeatedly said, to kind of go and show our appreciation for what the players managed to do this season, which was push Manchester City um, right up until the last few weeks of the season, which, as we keep saying, surpassed most people's expectations with regards to what this team and what this manager was capable of. So that's the big positive. It was an opportunity to go there and, and as I say, get that message across. I have to say, and I, I did a vlog, actually, of my day yesterday, which you guys can check out. Uh, it's the last video on the channel. Um, I sort of documented my journey to Emirates Stadium uh, spoke a little bit pre-match, um, half-time, post-match, etc., etc., and just wanted to put the experience across for the people that I know um, either couldn't get a ticket or are based, you know, further afield and, and are unable uh, to make that journey regularly. Because I know that sort of maybe two, three months ago, a ticket for that Wolves game at home would have been the hottest ticket in town. There was rumours online of people sort of selling them and and those sort of passing hands for a ridiculous amount of money and all of a sudden the interest in the game 
just waned a little bit, you felt. I, I suddenly heard of sort of friends of mine saying, well, you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to go. And I'm like, come on, guys. That, you know, this is a an opportunity to, to say thanks. Um, you know, the players deserve that because what they did this season was allow us to dream again and to believe again that we could win the biggest prize in England, which is obviously the Premier League trophy. And, you know, 12, 18 months ago, that was unthinkable. So to be in the position where we're more disappointed than pleased because of the fact that we finished second is is a change in 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 sort of the way the club has is now perceived and 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 it indicates a change I'd say in expectations. So yeah, um lots of positives, more positives than negatives and um and let's um let's build on that for the future and and let's build on that for next season. And I think the players got the rousing reception that they deserved. I think the manager got the rousing reception that he deserved. And I think the atmosphere at Emirates Stadium, although when I was on my way there, I felt it felt a little bit flat in the build-up, you know, walking past the pubs and walking past sort of the normal places where there's normally a bit of a buzz going into big games. It did feel a little bit um, flat. But I think once the game started, and and particularly with some of the other stories that, that have developed over the past few weeks, particularly the one regarding Granite Xhaka, which we'll come on to in a minute, you did feel that once the game got going and once the crowd got going, um, you know, it, it felt more like the Emirates Stadium that we'd been used to all season. Mikel Arteta asked to sum up the season in uh, in one word earlier this week. He said, connection. And, you know, his critics will say this. His critics will say it's a buzzword that Mikel Arteta uses to hide the fact that Arsenal weren't good enough to get over the line, to hide the fact that he made mistakes with regards to his management, with regards to some of his decisions at key moments, at key times to protect his players from taking the brunt of, um, you know, of sort of having fallen at the final hurdle. That's what his critics will say. That's not what I'm saying. Connection is one of those things that's really difficult to quantify because it's a metric that you can't really measure clearly. Like it, there isn't a, a statistic that will give you an answer on whether or not Mikel Arteta has been able to create that connection again between the Arsenal fans and the players. But he's talked about it so much. And I think, as I've said multiple times during the season, him subconsciously bringing it up and sorry, him talking about it constantly and, and always bringing it up subconsciously has an impact on the fans. And I think has had a massive impact on on the atmosphere at the stadium this season. It is a, is a, a sort of, it's a bit of clever psychology, I would say, from Mikel Arteta. And, and for me, it's worked. And if you needed confirmation of that, if you needed proof of how on board everybody is with this team, with this group, with many of the individuals involved, the manager too, then you needed to, you only needed to witness it yesterday. You only needed to be there yesterday to really feel that, um, you know, so um, yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a bittersweet ending to the season because as I say, there is that disappointment, but it's okay to be disappointed that we didn't win the league, but also appreciative of, how far we've come and the progress shown you those two views can coexist and i think we've got ourselves not just arsenal fans but we've got 
to a point in the world very much where everything has to be binary, you know, one way or the other. You're either anti this or you're pro it. There's no uh, consideration for someone who might have a sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> a sort of view that sort of sits in the middle ground. That is OK as well. And um, and I'm very much of that opinion. I'm disappointed that we didn't win it. I'm disappointed that, you know, when we were in the position we were in, we we just weren't good enough. And, and a few things went against us at key times, which ultimately undone us. But I can still acknowledge and appreciate the progress that this team has made. And um, I think that's um, I think that's what you um, you take away from this season. Take the, the glass half full rather than the glass half empty. And the glass half full is that Arsenal have come on leaps and bounds. And as Mikel Arteta said in his press conference after the match yesterday, he's laid the foundation or he thinks that he's got the foundations to push on and get better and get stronger as a team. Uh, he said, we've made great strides, but we know that if you want to be the best in the business, if you want to be that team sitting pretty at the top of the league, we have to go further. And that's what, of course, him and his team uh, will be trying to do going into next season as well. Obviously, it was uh, what we think is going to be Granit Xhaka's last game in an Arsenal shirt. There were banners inside the stadium reading Farewell Granit. Um, he had a, a nice moment, I thought, with uh, with the media, with some of the journalists. Um, as he left the stadium, I was there with, uh, with Tom Canton and uh, Granit Xhaka came over and sort of shook everybody's hand and said, you know, he, he still didn't say I'm going and, you know, Mikel Arteta quite strongly denied in the press conference that there was any agreement in place. Uh, there was a, a gentleman who asked the question in the press conference. I'm sure a lot of you have seen it. And Mikel Arteta sort of just went, well, is he leaving the club? You know, that's news to me. But I think just looking at the way Granit Xhaka conducted himself yesterday, the emotion that you could quite clearly see on his face when he scored, when he celebrated, when uh, all was said and done at the end of the match, I think, you know, it, it's fair to, to believe those reports now and, and and fair to think that it is the end of his Arsenal career. If it wasn't, he would just say it isn't, you know, and, and he hasn't done that either. Mikel Arteta, quite defensive of the whole conversation, but at the end of the day, if everybody knows it and Granite's not denying it, then, you know, you kind of look a little bit silly when you're kind of really sh sort of shutting those types of questions down. Granite Xhaka was, as I say, making his way out the stadium he stopped. He said thank you uh, to a, a number of journalists that were standing there. He shook everybody's hand and, you know, he said, look, we've had some good times and we've had some bad times. Do, do you say that if you're going? Do you say that if you're leaving? Uh, sorry, if you're staying, I beg you. I'm all over the place. Do you say that if you're staying? The answer is you, you don't, do you? Um, it, it felt like it was a goodbye from Granite Jacker. Obviously, he was stopped in his car as well as he was leaving. He, he wound down the window, signed a few autographs. Uh, somebody said, is it the missus's decision or something like that? And he said, it's nothing to do with the missus. But he didn't say, I'm not going. You know, he said, we'll see what happens uh, in the next few weeks. So, yeah, I think we can safely assume that that was Granite Xhaka's swan song in an Arsenal shirt. And um, in many ways, his Arsenal career, which has gone full circle, it's gone from, wow, what a sign in £35 million from Borussia Mönchengladbach, somebody that lots of clubs are looking at. We've managed to get him to Arsenal. So that real high at the beginning, it's gone from that to a real low whereby people couldn't wait to see the back of him. He was booed off by his own supporters on numerous occasions. It's gone all from so, so from the top 
really down to such a low level to a point where we are now, which is where an entire stadium who wouldn't have even dreamed of this 18 months ago were chanting Granite Xhaka, we want you to stay where there were lots of sort of placards and, and signs being held up showing appreciation for his efforts and for the job that he's done at Arsenal Football Club, where everybody was desperate to see him have a moment. He scored a couple of goals and um, really should have had a hat-trick all within the first half. And it would have been the perfect hat-trick, head, uh, right foot and left foot. Um, but he wasn't able to make that happen, unfortunately. But still, for a player who scores as few goals as Granit Xhaka does, um, you know, to, to get seven in the Premier League and to finish on that tally, I think is a real, real positive. I did read a stat earlier on today as well, and I haven't verified this, so correct me if I'm wrong. But um, lots of people highlighting that in terms of goals and assists, I think he's pretty much there with Bruno Fernandes of Manchester United, who plays in a far more advanced role or who has played in a far more advanced role traditionally, who is seen very much as Manchester United's leader in that midfield, one of their better players, carried them to a point last season as well. Um, so it's interesting that Granit Xhaka has been able to get close to him in terms of the stats and in terms of his record this season, which again says brilliant. And, you know, Mikel Arteta again spoke about Granit Xhaka in the post-match press conference and he said something along the lines of, and I am paraphrasing because I can't remember the exact words he used, but he said, you know, there were. I told Granite that there was a question mark over him at the start of the season um, with regards to him playing in that position. And uh, Granite Xhaka, you know, just got on with it and trained really, really hard. And Mikel Arteta paid tribute to his work ethic and, you know, his, his ability to come out the other side of, of difficult moments and adversity. And here he is now being wheeled on to stay. And it looks as though we're going to lose him for a nominal amount of money. And we've talked about this time and time again. So I don't want to repeat myself but you know you watch him yesterday you've watched him over the course of the season and the more you kind of break down and analyze his performance the way he's come on the way he's been able to really thrive in that more advanced role the more you sit there and scratch your head as to why Arsenal Football Club could even entertain the possibility of um, of him leaving for that amount of money which in Premier League terms is a very insignificant amount of money to you or I it'd be amazing but in Premier League terms, it isn't a lot of money and it isn't going to help you in terms of going out and bringing in a replacement. We lose leadership, we lose experience uh, and we lose someone who's been on an unbelievable journey with lots of lows, but plenty of highs as well uh, with Arsenal Football Club. And um, yeah, it is sad to see, but also to let him go at this point, which we're led to believe is what he wants, then it's almost like repaying Granit Xhaka for staying on when, you know, he could have easily walked out and he could have easily turned his back on the club, gone and been comfortable elsewhere for a long period of time and uh, uh, made his life easier. Instead, he stayed. He trusted in Mikel Arteta. He believed in Mikel Arteta. Um, Mikel Arteta repaid that faith in him by, you know, playing him week in, week out helping him improve as a footballer. Granit Xhaka spoke many times about how much of an influence Mikel Arteta's had on him, um, the influence that he's had on turning this football club, which is a massive ship back around, which doesn't happen overnight. So there's a real mutual respect there. And so if Arsenal do allow Granit Xhaka to go, which we think is going to be the case, it will be on the high, which he kind of deserves, I think, as well. Um Let's talk a, a little bit about the game itself. Um, you know, 
one of those games that didn't have any jeopardy, which is kind of nice on the last day of the season because you can just go there and enjoy the football. You know, you you kind of want to wind down at the end of a season. Obviously, you'd rather be in a position where we could have won the league. Of course you would. But given that that was impossible, it was quite nice, actually, to go into a game in which we were comfortable from the first minute, in which we always looked like we could score. Um, as I mentioned, those two Granite Xhaka goals, the first one, wonderful work on the right from Jesus to stand it up at the far post. Xhaka's header, not great, by the way. It was straight at Jose Saar, but he couldn't keep it out. Um, obviously, when you attack the ball from such a close range, it does make it difficult for the goalkeeper to adjust and he hasn't got much time uh, to do exactly that, to adjust and, and keep it out. So maybe I'm being a bit harsh on Jose Saar there, but Granit Xhaka had to hit the target. He did exactly that and he ended up finding the back of the net. And I think it was, what, three minutes later when he added the second? This time it was some really good play down the right-hand side involving, I think, Saka, Odegaard and Trossard. And when the ball sort of kindly deflected into the path of Granit Xhaka, he was there to turn it in again from pretty close range and, and double Arsenal's lead and add to his tally. And you could see by the celebrations, you know, the way he kind of just stood in front of the crowd with his arms aloft and just took it in for what felt like the final time. When he scored the second goal, he ran over to um, he ran over to the dugout, gave Mohamed Elneny a pretty big hug, obviously saluted his family over in the corner of the North Bank, as he always does when he scores or has any uh, big moment, Granit Xhaka. Um, and then a, a trademark Bukayo Saka goal to kind of round off what was a really, really dominant half an hour. Now, Bukayo Saka's level has dropped a little bit, you know, over the last couple of months. We've we've discussed that time and time again. So, you know, although that's probably down to a number of factors, you know, he's had a really a really hard couple of years, lots of games, lots of football, international tournaments sandwiched in between, not an awful lot of um, rest. And Arsenal have been so reliant upon him that they've struggled to kind of bring people into replacing. There's been a real reluctance on Mikel Arteta's part, uh, part to do that, which for me makes it important that we either give Reese Nelson the trust that he can come in from time to time and fill that void left by Bukayo Saka when he needs a break, or we go out and bring somebody else in who can, who can do that because we have to protect Saka. We've just got him to sign this brand spanking new contract. He kind of marked that with the goal yesterday and the way he celebrated, which involved him kissing the badge. And that sparked quite a, a positive reaction, as you'd imagine. But um, yeah, you know, he looked uh, sharper uh, again yesterday, particularly for that goal where he got the ball and he sort of dropped the shoulder really, really quickly just to create that half a yard of space. Excellent footwork as well. And then he just fired it past Jose Sarr. Now, I was critical of him with the first goal. He couldn't have done anything uh, about that one, though. Um, wonderful, wonderful strike from Saka. Saka got kicked around a little bit um, in the first half. He did give Hugo Bueno, though, at left back for Wolves a torrid, torrid time. Uh, but it was good to see Saka do what he does best, which is cut in onto that left foot, cause people problems and finish expertly and then half time came and after the break we added a fourth through Gabriel Jesus Leandro Trossard with yet another assist um, picking out Jesus who's runny spotted at the far post and Jesus uh, managed to find the back of the net and then the fifth goal uh, was scored by Jakub Kivior getting his first goal 
in uh, in Arsenal colours, uh, which was nice to see. Uh, the ball dropped kindly for him inside the penalty area. He swung his weaker right foot at it. It was straight at Jose Sarr, and this one you can definitely blame him for because it sort of squirmed its way through and into the back of the net, which was really, really disappointing for the Wolves goalkeeper. Big smile on Jakob Kivio's face. And from then on, it was just about making a few changes, um, giving other players an opportunity to get on the pitch. And then the kind of scenes post-match, I thought, were were really were really beautiful. And um, that is, you know, I said that the, the whole connection thing is something that you can't really measure. But I think, as I'm, I also mentioned, you know, when you watch those scenes post-match, you can really feel that. Martin Odegaard came out and gave a, a very short speech, talked about the disappointment of not winning the Premier League, but how proud he was to represent the football club. And that really resonated with the fans. He had to pause what he was saying two or three times because the applause just took over. Um, and then obviously Mikel Arteta came out to speak as well. And chance of we've got super Mikel Arteta rang around the Emirates Stadium at that point so loudly and for so long that he had to pause, I think, a couple of times and, and couldn't really get his speech underway. But he talked about the fact that, you know, we're on a journey. We're on a journey to bring Arsenal back to the top of the game. We're on a journey to bring success and enjoyment to our people, is what he said. And um, and he said, look, enjoy the journey. And I think that's so, so important. You know, I think that's so, so important. Obviously, because you care about the football club deeply, when things go your way, you know, you're buzzing. When they, when they go against you, you do feel like it's the end of the world. And it's not always easy to kind of push that emotion to one side. If we could do that, we wouldn't truly care. So... Yeah, there will be disappointments and there will be ups and downs and, and sometimes more downs because that's the way football goes and you can't always control uh, everything around you. You can only focus on the things that you can control. But for me, you know, the journey, particularly over the last 12, 18 months, has been really fun. That connection thing for me has been so important. I feel super invested um, I'm, I'm really lucky to do what I do. You know, I've done it for a, a few years now. Um, but this is the first year I can say that I enjoyed 85% of it because the results were there. The performances were there. There was a pride in my football club again. Whereas in previous years, I've tended to be more upset and disappointed and annoyed than I have been happy and positive. And listen, as I say, you can't always control the outcomes in football, particularly as a fan. But what you can do is um, is make sure that you enjoy the highs, but also put them into context. Make sure that you understand the context. When it comes to the lows, you know, they will hurt, but you have to try and take the positives where you can. And you have to move forward. And, and you know, we go into the summer now and it's going to be a really, really intriguing summer. Palmsy in the chat says, uh, we'll see how serious they are about this journey in the summer. Absolutely. Absolutely, mate. And um you know, looking at that yesterday, witnessing what we did. I mean, my my dad was there and um, he's a season ticket holder and he's quite, he, he adores this football club more than anything in the world, right? He, he really, really does. I've, I don't know another person in the world that adores the club as much as my dad does. And my dad is, is the embodiment of what being too... Um, 
sort of too invested can can cause like you know when we win he's he's on top of the world but when we lose um he's angry about it and he's upset about it and often you can't talk to him in the first couple of hours after a defeat because you're going to hear a lot of reactionary stuff and a lot of stuff that you know he doesn't mean um so you know i, I i've seen that over the years growing up and and when I sort of glanced over from the press box to where he was sitting yesterday, because he sits just sort of in front of it, maybe six or seven rows in front of the press box from the position that I was situated in, I looked down and I saw my dad just kind of looking around the ground in awe at the reaction from the fans, in awe of, you know, the support. And, and you know, my dad never pulls out his iPhone and video something ever. Takes him too long to figure it out. Never does it. But he did yesterday. I could see him sort of video and scanning around the stadium because everybody inside there felt it. Everybody felt that unity and everybody recognized that although it didn't go our way, we are equipped to give it another go. And we're hoping that by the end of the summer, we'll be better equipped to give it another go and to try and push Manchester City as far as we possibly can and everybody else because make no mistake about it I think if Liverpool have a strong summer they'll be back I don't think Chelsea are a million miles away if they get a decent manager in and make a couple of acquisitions to just sort of boost what they've got because on paper that's not a bad side who are Tottenham going to get you know in terms of management are they able to keep hold of Harry Kane what's the next step in the Ten Hag project at Man United uh, you know a Newcastle United going to continue to get better there's so much um, you know, that can change in football and can change quite quickly. But you can't obsess over that. You have to focus on yourself. And, you know, based on what we saw last season, I have a greater confidence now that Arsenal can go to the very top again under Mikel Arteta. Every year it's been building. You know, the first year where he was only there for half a season, the eighth place finish for me doesn't really, you know, I, I didn't really mark that against him. The second season, though, that was disappointing. You know, and and that was a point where I think a lot of people started to have doubts, and um, and ask questions. And then yes, uh, the last season, fifth place finish, was an improvement, but not quite enough of an improvement. And again, it was a season whereby we looked like we were going to achieve what we set out to, but couldn't uh, because we fell short due to injuries and and maybe a lack of depth, maybe some naive management and various other things as well. Um, but in this season, you know, that's the same story, I guess, in a, in a lot of ways. But this time we were pushing for the Premier League title. The bar has been raised. The standard has been lifted. We qualified for the Champions League, which we couldn't do last season with so much comfort and so much ease this time around. The thing we're talking about missing out on is something that's at a whole different level, which is going on and winning the thing and beating that absolute juggernaut of a side in Manchester City, who could still win the treble, by the way. So the standards have been raised, the bar has been lifted, and that is what we wanted. That's what we've been crying for for years at Arsenal Football Club. Where are the standards? What has happened to this great establishment? Well, we're back and we're demanding the very, very best. You know, Arsene Wenger didn't win the Premier League every year, but I didn't hear people on the years that we narrowly missed out to Manchester United saying that this club was a shambles, had no ambition, the manager needed to go because people recognised that we were competing at the top level. Sometimes it goes your way, sometimes it doesn't. This time, unfortunately for us, it didn't. But 
yeah, I really do believe we're we're moving in the right direction. And you can't put a price on the connection piece. You know, you really can't. Um, I'm not saying that I'd have accepted us to finish mid-table, but if you feel that connection, the results become the number one thing they'll always be, but slightly less significant in terms of your um, your match-going experience. I mean, after the game yesterday, right, I, I, I don't go to the pub after games, right? I, I just don't. It's not my thing. Um, I go to the match this season. I've been working at the matches. Um, I finish up. I want to get back. I want to make my content. I want to do all the things that I need to do. Um, but yesterday, just kind of really feeling that inside the stadium and, and sort of drawing a line under what had been an extraordinary campaign in many ways, I thought, you know what? What football is about? It's about results, it's about enjoyment, it's about winning things, of course it is, but it's also about the sense of community that it creates. And I was very lucky uh, to meet a couple of you guys yesterday. Um, I got to meet uh, Andrew from Blog. I got to meet Elliot from the Arsenal Vision podcast. We all went for a drink together after the match, um, albeit I was a little bit late because I was waiting around for all the media bits to, to be done. Um, but to be able to meet those guys who whose work has been a real big inspiration to me and, and to many, I'm sure, um, to meet up with friends, to, to be there with family, all of those things, that's what football's about. You know, that's just as important. And so to have that back and to have that feeling where people, you know, went to the game, watched us win the game, it didn't culminate us in us winning the league, but everybody was still pretty content, pretty happy, pretty pleased, proud and wanting to go out and celebrate together and, and enjoy the moment. That's what football, uh, or that's a big part of football. It's not what's solely what football is about, but it's a big part of, of football and why we love this game. So yeah, amazing, uh, amazing to see. Look, guys, going to take a very, very short pause and then we're going to do questions and comments for the remainder of the show so start getting them in fill up the chat box i'm going to bring you guys a quick message from our sponsor and when i return that's what we'll be focusing on hey everybody don't forget that the chronicles of aguna podcast is brought to you by the good people over at nordvpn the virtual private network service for you they're the best in the business it costs the price of a cup of coffee per month and it opens up a load of doors for you. You'll see the internet differently, I promise, if you sign up to NordVPN. Not only does it add an extra layer of security when using public Wi-Fi or on the go, but it also uh, allows you to change your geolocation, which is so, so important when surfing the web. Uh, I always use my example because that's the one I know best. But when I want to watch streams, TV shows, uh, when I want to access subscriptions, various other bits and pieces that aren't available in my region, what do I do? I log into NordVPN. I change my geolocation to where I need to be, and I'm able to access all of that content. As I say, it opens lots and lots of doors. Um, it's been a fantastic tool for me. Uh, I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed using it. I thank NordVPN for their sponsorship of this program uh, over the last couple of months. Look, as I say, it costs the price of a cup of coffee per month. And if you sign up using our link, which is in the description below, you'll not only get 
a huge discount on your plan, but you'll also get four months additional free at the end of it. So it's a deal that's too good to turn down. Uh, I'm sure you'll benefit from it and I'm sure you'll love it and won't be able to go back uh, once you do start browsing the web via NordVPN. But do uh, check it out. This offer runs out in the next couple of days. So you want to get on it nice and quickly um, uh, if it's something you're interested in. And as I always say, if you've got any questions, queries about it, hit me up because I am a user and very much an advocate of this product. Thank you uh, to the team over at NordVPN for their support of the podcast uh, at the back end of this Premier League season. It is very, very much appreciated, I can assure you. Okay, uh, let's take some of your questions then. Let's take some of your thoughts from the live chat box. What have we got here? Uh, just scrolling through. Um, let's take this one for um, um, Alpha, who says, Afternoon, Harry. I'm only disappointed we staggered at the end. The rest to me was absolutely amazing as a journey. What a season. Years of hurt to me faded game by game. The Xhaka redemption arc is complete. Brilliant comment that. Uh, Mario says, uh, hi, Harry, mate. Great day yesterday and a great send off for Granite. Just want to say thanks, mate, for your pods throughout the season. Thank you so much, man. But I want to say thanks to you guys, um, not the other way around, because without you guys tuning in and listening to this, I wouldn't have had half the opportunities that I've had. I know I say this every season, but it is true. The Chronicles of Aguna remains the platform of, of what I do and, and the base of what I do. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to do it. Um, I was counting them up this morning. Um, I had the privilege of either commentating on or reporting on 47 games this season for the, for, for the BBC, which is amazing to me. It's something I didn't even think was, was possible. I got to commentate for Arsenal Football Club on the under-21s on a number of occasions this season for the club's website and app, etc. I got to fly out to Paris to go and um, and work on the CAF Champions League as a TV commentator, being beamed all over the world on being sports. I got to do that. Amazing. Um, I've got to interview a load of my heroes. Um, I've got to participate in podcasts, radio shows, TV shows, news shows. Uh, throughout the course of the season. This has been, for me, the best of the lot so far. And um, that is all because of you guys. And, you know, hopefully it continues. But I also know that uh, this business can be very cutthroat and that you might not be flavor of the month next time around. But regardless of how all of that goes, I'll still have the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. And that will always be the kind of um, the platform upon which this career, if you want to call it that, is built. So I'm so, so grateful to every single last one of you, literally every one of you, whether you're a listener um, and you don't get involved in the live chat box, whether you're someone that's always in the chat box, whether you're uh, a member, whether you're uh, someone that gives me stick in the chat, you're still here, you're still watching. So um, despite the disagreements we may have, I, I do appreciate your participation and um, and you being here. But yeah, uh, thank you for the kind message, Mario. But honestly, the, the thank you should be from me to you guys and uh, and not the other way around. Um, what else have we got? Let's see what we got here. Uh, do -do 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 -do. Uh, Halo Mateus says, to really understand how tough the Premier League is, 
how many teams have in the last three seasons become better and better each year in an upward trajectory? Be happy you support one of them. That's a great point. The only team that's probably got better, and you could argue that they haven't even got better, is Manchester City. You could argue that they've just maintained um, because we know they've hit 100 points before. Uh, so, you know, yeah, you could look at it like that. Um, yeah, you could look at it like that. But you're right. Arsenal are on an upward trajectory, but what we need to do is is keep that going. Um, and we need to keep pushing forward. And there will come a point when you're improving where you hit a ceiling. And that's when you need to kind of reinvent yourself and you need to figure out other ways of, of getting around it or maybe creating a crack in the ceiling that you can push through later on or or push through by attacking it from a slightly different direction. There's there's lots, you know, to, to factor in here. For example, if Manchester City go out in the summer and spend another couple of hundred million quid and improve on that squad they already have and Arsenal finish second to them again next season, it wouldn't necessarily mean that Arsenal haven't got better. But Manchester City and the advantages they have, should we put it that way, uh, to avoid any uh, sort of legal implications, um, make it very, very difficult. And um, that's why we've been talking about maybe the need to kind of not completely redefine success, because obviously success is going on and winning a big one. But it's why you need to um, think carefully sometimes about how hard we go in on the team when they fall short to a side like that. Uh, Lushane, uh, with a very good question, which reminds me to play a clip that I loaded up onto the system uh, for this show. Uh, Lushane Black says, Harry, would you play Partey at right back next season? Now, over the last couple of games, we've seen Mikel Arteta make a change at fullback where he's pushed Ben White inside in the absence of Saliba and he's gone right. I'm going to put Partey as an inverted right back. And he was very much playing an inverted role. He was coming inside in the way that Zinchenko normally does from the left. And he put Jakob Kivior on the left, which I think is massively damning, actually, for Kieran Tierney. You know, what does that say to him? Was that his last performance uh, in an Arsenal shirt? Were they his last minutes in Arsenal colours? Maybe. I was really interested by this, and I'm really interested to understand what's kind of brought this change on in terms of mentality around the fullbacks from, for Mikel Arteta. I wondered if he's been looking at what Manchester City have been doing, which is playing players who traditionally have been more central players in the right-back positions to add greater solidity at times, but also then reverting back to more traditional fullbacks in certain games against certain opponents. Is that something that Mikel's looked at? So what did I do? I sat down in the press conference post-match and I asked Mikel Arteta whether this is something he's been thinking about um, and whether this is something he is trialing for the new season. You might not be able to hear my question too loudly uh, on this little clip that I'm about to play, but you can certainly hear Mikel's response. Check it out. Mikel, in the last couple of games, we've seen you use different players at fullback, um, sort of different profile players. Is that something that you're kind of tinkering with looking ahead to next season? Is there a possibility that we had to adapt. Uh, obviously, we had some important injuries in our backline. We have three players out, and, and we had seven players in the backline this season, and, and obviously that was a concern. And uh, there were certain things that I wanted to adapt, certain things that I wanted to try, because I've been thinking for a long time about those options, because if not, we are very, very exposed. And uh, I am very happy when how it's done. Okay. Go down. 
There we go. So Mikel Arteta answering my question there about the fullbacks. Um, he said that we're very exposed without those options and he said he's very happy with it. So watch this space. I wouldn't be surprised if um, if we see that sort of adaptation in terms of, you know, having that that capability of playing that way as well. And, and we read a report, didn't we? I think it was from 90 Min actually uh, the other day, which said that they were looking at Moises Caicedo as someone who could playing midfield, but also playing that role as well. And when you think about it now, although at first reading you might have gone, nah, you know, when you think about it now, it actually makes quite a bit of sense. Um, Raphael says, hi, Harry, I recall the season before the Invincible season, the team lost the title. After bad results, they came back the next season without losing a match. Arsenal can do it next season. I'm not going to say that we're going to be invincible. Um, but yeah, there's no reason not to be optimistic about what we can achieve. Uh, next season that is for sure uh, Wondering Minstrel says that we're lucky we have you Harry reporting to us and giving us fans a voice and a platform to follow our club many thanks and to all the fans who share their views AFC forever thank you man um, good to see you in the chat uh, Paul James says not so much a question but an observation this season finally felt like the Emirates was our home in the same way the Emirates did no, in, in the same way Highbury did, sorry. Yeah, yeah, and you're absolutely right. This was the first time that I, you know, in the past I've looked at the Emirates and I've gone, what well, could it possibly ever be like Highbury? Well, first of all, for a ground to become a kind of spiritual home, you need history within that ground. That's a massive part of it, right? Um, you need to win things there. You need to experience moments. That's ultimately what turns a place into a home. The atmosphere at the Emirates Stadium had been questionable. But of late, you cannot deny that it has really, really, really improved. And um, and you're right. It is the first time that it feels like home. And um, long may that continue, of course. Um, just a quick reminder, guys, if you haven't done so already, please leave a like on the video. Let's try and get up to 100 likes. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to achieve that, given how many of you are watching at the moment. Also, don't forget to subscribe as well. If you haven't done so already, that really, really uh, does help. Uh, Fuad says, uh, what happened to Emil Smith-Rowe and where do you see his future? Tough question. Um, I, I think the injury was obviously the big point. He's always somebody that Mikel Arteta has rated and has given opportunities to. Um, the club handed him a, a big contract with the number 10 shirt, which means that they saw him as a long-term fit in this team and not someone that they were looking to move on in the short-term future. I don't know that that's still the case. You kind of have to be ruthless when you're at the top end of the table. I want him to stay personally, but if if you can generate funds that you believe are better placed elsewhere, then maybe Arsenal will look to move him on. But, you know, I think he's just been unlucky with injuries. And then off the back of that, because of the level at which the team had been performing for most of that period, it was very difficult to just throw him in. I think he starts with a clean slate next season and and Arsenal will look at him then. I don't think he's going to leave, but equally I say that and I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Um, but it would depend for me on whether somebody was willing to make an offer that was too good to turn down, too good to be true. Uh, going to take a couple more and then, um, and then I'm going to bid you all a farewell. We'll be back tomorrow with more content. Our, uh, season review stuff begins and we've got plenty lined up for that as well we're going to be doing uh, a season review in two parts so we'll be doing uh pre-world cup post-world cup we'll be breaking it into two two parts um 
I might do it like that or I might do it the first 19 games in the second 19 games. Maybe we'll do it like that. Maybe that's a little bit better and obviously talk about the impact that the World Cup had in between. And then uh, we're going to be doing later on in the week, we're going to be doing a, a transfer show where we look at the current squad and um, we'll decide who stays, who should go, who I'd put into the category of, well, if a good offer comes in, I'll consider it. Um, so, yeah, it'll be um, it'll be good fun. I'm sure. And and I'm sure there'll be a variety of views on all of that in the chat box as well. Um, so that, that should make it interesting. Uh, let me pick a couple more then before I go. Um, Steve Sloan says, with other teams now adopting an inverted fullback, Liverpool with Trent Alexander-Arnold, for example, do you feel it's more important for us to be able to adapt our style to, of play to avoid being cancelled out slash predictable? 100%. I think at the very highest level, you need to be adaptable. You need to have a plan A, obviously, and, and plan A needs to be a very strong one. And it's the thing that you want to implement 95% of the time. But there will be games where you come up against sides of equal ability, sometimes of greater ability, and you need to be adaptable to their biggest threats. There'll be sides that you come up against that maybe carry minimal threat down the right, but carry tons of it down the left. And you need to be able to adapt and tweak your system to be able to manage that. It's not veering away from a philosophy necessarily but I think if you're too stubborn and you, you don't acknowledge the need to be adaptable that is bordering on arrogance so I think that's something Mikel's learned as well um, over time um, he started off with uh, you know a really rigid system which wasn't the way he wanted to play when he first came into the club we all saw that we all felt that it changed over time um, and and maybe at times given the success he's had from playing in a certain way, he's then been reluctant to revert back to other things that might have worked in those individual games. But it's part of the learning curve for him as well as a manager. You know, you you want to, um, it, you know, you, you, you've got to remember where he's at as well in his career and that, that there will be mistakes made. And it's easy for us to go, oh, yeah, well, he made a mistake this weekend. But we always do it with hindsight. We have the benefit of that. We're not the ones that have to make those calls in advance. But yeah, anyway, um, let me take one more. Uh, Ed says, with rumours of Balogun, Emil Smith-Rowe, Patino leaving, are you worried about the lack of opportunities for academy lads at the club? Not really, because I think if you're good enough, you'll make it. Um, I think that that's how it works. I think it is very much a meritocracy at Arsenal. And that's one of the things I'm really proud of with regards to the way the club operates. But your academy isn't necessarily just something that feeds your first team. It can also be a huge revenue generator for you, which in turn feeds your first team anyway. So, for example, following Balogun, right? He's gone out on loan. He's had a cracking season in France. Scored a ton of goals. His reputation is 10 times what it was this time 12 months ago. So even if you don't think that the pathway is clear for him to come into the first team, you can now sell him for 30 plus million pounds and that feeds your first team. Emil Smith-Rowe has been excellent um, so far on his journey, barring this season where he's really struggled with injuries. But if he doesn't make it back into the first team, Arsenal can still generate revenue from him and still feed the first team. And the same with Charlie Patino. So sometimes you feed the first team from the academy just indirectly. And I feel like that is what you are able to do. It's the luxury you have when you have a function in academy that produces good players. And um, Chelsea have used it to good effect over the years. 
not necessarily brought a lot of those players into the first team, but they've managed to to sell a lot of them on and make a lot of profit, make a lot of money, and um, and that has in turn uh, funded what's turned out to be a bit of a disaster this season. But you know what I mean, their success over the last 15, 20 years. So, yeah. Right. Uh, I am going to leave it there, guys. Thank you so, so, so much. Um, I'm going to go and have some lunch, I think, now and uh, enjoy the sunshine a little bit on this bank holiday Monday here in uh, North London. Uh, thank you, as always, uh, for your support. Don't worry. I I'm saying goodbye as if it's the last podcast ever. It's not. Uh, we'll be going to be back tomorrow with another show. But um, thank you for all your support this season. Thank you for all your kind words, all your well wishes. And um, and I'll see you guys soon. Uh, that's a line drawn under uh, the 2022-23 season. Now that the dust has settled, we can look back at it with a calm head. And we'll be doing that over the course of this week, as well as looking ahead to what's coming up this summer. Um, what we should be looking to do, maybe the positions in which we need to strengthen. And um, of course, keeping across all the latest transfer news as well. It very much is now after the um, season ends, despite the window not officially opening just yet. It is very much transfer silly season now. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll try and navigate you through that as best as possible. I'll see you all soon. Until next time. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.